when we are creating these wonderful communities, whether in church, in organizations, in institutions, in schools, all of that is built around human dignity. If we put dignity at the core, we will be surprised how we can maximize the authenticity of our communities and authenticity of our togetherness and allow for us really to be intentional about seeing each other's dignity. This is Four People with Bishop Rob Wright. Hello and good morning, everyone. This is Four People, and I'm Bishop Rob Wright. Today we have an extra, super special guest, uh, Dr. Beth Sarah Wright. Beth, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. And I'm so glad to be here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Dr. Beth Sarah Wright uh, is the head of enrollment management at the Holy Innocence Episcopal School. Uh, She is educated in Jamaica, uh, Edinburgh, Scotland, uh, Princeton University, uh, Cambridge uh, in the UK, and has a PhD from NYU. She is an author and a much sought after speaker. She is a wife uh, and a mother. And, uh, and today she comes to talk a little bit about her work around joy, uh, spirituality in, uh, in the face of mental health challenges, as well as how to build authentic community. So uh, in addition to all of those wonderful distinctions, uh, she has married incredibly well. <laughs> <laughs> she is my wife of 25 and a half years. So, so Beth, uh, you don't take up this writing around spiritual subjects as an extension of being married to a clergy person. So why, why do you write about God and the movements of God and how to build authentic community and faith in the midst of mental health challenges? Thank you for that wonderful question. First and foremost, because God is present in my life. That's why I write about it. That's why I write about God. I met God in a, I've always been, been, been partners or walking with God. I was, I am what Episcopalians call a, call a cradle Episcopalian. I have been in church all my life. My father was an Anglican priest. And he became so at 50 years old. My mother is a prayer warrior and a deep and has a deep and abiding faith. They both together have created an environment for their children, my siblings and I, to, to know God intimately. But as I have grown and been an adult and uh, encountered all sorts of joys, challenges, differences, mountaintops and valleys, I have met God anew. And I need to talk about that because I need to proclaim how wonderful it is to have a friend in Jesus, to have a friend in God. You, uh, you, one of the great gifts that you have given you know, so many people, 
uh, is uh, your candor about, uh, you know, having, you know, an amazing resume, uh, you know, having, uh, you know, a life that looks like a charmed life, a good family, uh, loving siblings, uh, your own family, uh, everything's looking really good, a wonderful uh, academic journey, and yet um, you were diagnosed with clinical depression many years ago. And uh, you did what, what not a lot of people do, which is as, as part of your healing, you wrote a book about it. Uh, and so why that? And, um, and, and why share that? Something that a lot of people would say is a very personal journey. Well, about 15 years ago, uh, we had, you and I together, had five children in our home. And one morning I woke up and was doing just what I normally do with those children, getting breakfast, getting them ready for school. I kissed them goodbye and I kissed you goodbye. And only one thing was different that morning. I wanted to die, but I didn't know why. I didn't know and understand what was happening. I got into that car and I went to my workplace that morning, but I held on real tight to that steering wheel and I drove very slowly to get there because all I wanted to do was swerve the car, car off the road. But when I did and where I was teaching at the time, I told my, my students, I cannot teach you today. And I left that place and checked myself into a hospital and got some help. Now, I was dumbfounded, astounded. I didn't understand depression. As you said, I had what I, I have attained, what maybe 1% of the population have attained in terms of education. I had a wonderful, strong, loving home and family and could not understand how and where this came from. But while I was there in that hospital, I met other doctors, nurses, pilots, all these professional folks who were also suffering and none of us wanted to talk about it. And it was only when we started to, in groups, started to tell our stories that the healing began. And that's when I realized we've got to tell this story. We've got to talk about it. I've got to talk about this. We need to be able to talk about this. And while I was there, I met a woman who said she could not bear telling her mother that she was there. I said, why? She said, because my mother is a prayer warrior and she will think I have not prayed enough. And that's why I'm here. And that broke my heart because the answer to God's prayers can be Go get yourself some help. Go to a physician, go to a psychiatrist, go to a psych psychologist. Whether that be get the medication if necessary, take the, learn the strategies, learn to understand what's happening and tell the story, share your story. Vulnerability is powerful and we can be vulnerable in those moments and share those Good Friday narratives of our lives because we know that there is an Easter Sunday morning coming. Right. Um, I mean, that's the rhythm, isn't it, of the faith, which is, is that uh, Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. Yes. And uh, to bring that pattern that we say on Sunday into our real lives 
uh, is an extraordinary gift and it opens hearts and, uh, and it changed minds. And, you know, it's sad in the church that we haven't spent more time actually talking about that. We've done some work here in the Diocese of Atlanta, but not nearly enough because a lot of people do sit in pews all over the world and wonder if God hasn't abandoned them um, because they are suffering uh, and they wonder if they, you know, perhaps they need to pray more, or perhaps God isn't listening, and uh, when, when none of that is actually true, but that God is working through all these sort of healing levers, uh, doctors and nurses and caregiving or organizations and institutions, and even resources. Um, you know, one of the best resources that, uh, that I had uh, for the non-depressive spouse during that time was a, a book uh, co-authored by a husband and wife called When Someone You Love is Depressed. And that book was a life, a life raft for me, uh, and uh, it provided some buoyancy for me, even as we were uh, working that through, um, you know, as a family. Uh, so, but you've talked about it, and you've talked about it in very theological terms. And I think that helps people to integrate my mental health as well as my spiritual health, and for me to see the whole, the whole picture, really, that all of it is uh, is under God, and all of it, uh, you know, God can intervene uh, in, and so that, that's just it's just a it's a wonderful gift to people, and, and and I hope, and I've seen actually, that other people have come out from the shadows and out of the corners to say, "Hey, me too," or yes. I have family members also. Indeed, and I just want to say a word about that silence that you talked about earlier and feeling abandoned by God, because we're not the only ones who felt that. If you read through the Bible, there are many other instances of people who say, where are you, God? Even Jesus said, have you forsaken me while he had hung on the cross? But I want to say something about reminding us that even the Bible says, and I I want to give you a context here. When I learned this in, a re in real time, I just was in the depths of depression and really did not know what to pray for and didn't even know how to pray. My tongue was heavy. My heart was heavy. I didn't know what to pray or how to pray. But it was at a Bible study I just happened to host at my home. I wasn't, I was just there. But I heard through the lips of a woman who was then about 85 years old, and you know who I'm talking about, a spirited woman who is a one who has a, has a strong faith. And she reminded us that, and without even knowing my context and what I was going through, she reminded us that, and from Romans, when you don't have the words, the spirit will intercede with moans and groans and pray for you. And I thought, thank God, because all I have right now are moans and groans. I didn't have the words. God is there. God is there in the silence. God is there when you think that God has abandoned you and God has not. God is there in the valleys and in the mountaintops. And it's so important for us to remember that as people of faith when we're going through those Good Friday narratives of our lives. Hi, listeners. Thank you for listening to Four People, a space of digital evangelism. You can keep up with us on Instagram and Facebook at Bishop Rob Wright. And now back to Four People.
Our friend Barbara Brown Taylor reminds us that God does some of God's best work in the darkness, right? In, uh, in the times when we, uh, we don't see any light, God is still at work. Uh, you move from, from that uh, in, in, you know, in your work, uh, in writing, in your authorship, you move from, um, from the intersection of, of mental health and faith into novels, uh, into strategies that you want to commend to people. But you also move uh, into this idea of dignity, which seems to be really, really important to you. Um, say a little bit about dignity. What are, you, what are you trying to get at by you know, pointing us to this idea, this word dignity and this idea dignity? Well, as I look back on even the eclectic uh, nature of my writing and my body of writing, there is definitely a core thread that goes through all of it. And that is human dignity because there's dignity in the pain of depression. There's also dignity human dignity that we need to remember when we are creating these wonderful communities, whether in church, in organizations, in institutions, in schools, all of that is built around human dignity. If we put dignity, human dignity at the core, we will be surprised how we can maximize the authenticity of our communities and authenticity of our, of our togetherness and allow for us really to be intentional about seeing each other's dignity. Now, I came to that word. I just happened to be married to you. And whenever I go with you on these visitations, every Sunday, we are renewing our baptism. Of course. And as I looked at each, you know, each Sunday traveling with you and just looking at that, one, of course, the baptismal covenant is our map. It is our roadmap. It is a guideline for who we are. It's, it's our mission statement. And that last sentence and the culminating question of the baptismal covenant is, will you strive for justice and peace and respect the dignity of every human being? And I was stuck on that question, respect the dignity of every human being. What does that actually mean? I love words. And so looking at that word respect, I recognize that the word, doing a deep etymology, the root of the word respect is specere, a Latin term, meaning to look and re again. Will you look again at the dignity of every human being? Will you look first and be aware of your biases, your normal understandings. Now we are all human and so we do that normally. Can we look, be present to those things and then pause and look again? Can we look again to see the dignity in another human being regardless of what they look like or what they've done or what they've said? Can we go ahead and see the dignity and the commonality between what we both share as human beings and children of God? Can we do that? And so I was really, and that takes great intentionality. It's not something that just comes. It takes great intentionality. It takes great capacity building. And that's where that happens. That's what I was really grounded in. That's what really launched my thinking about how do we create authentic communities when what we say and what we do align. 
where there, when we can close the gaps between our aspirational identities and our lived realities. When we can say, yes, I believe in respecting the dignity of every human being. Okay, so what does that look like? Well, that's the piece I want to I pause here a second about, because not only is this a word and a word study that's sort of animating for you, uh, you know, even unto a book, but you, you've made dignity uh, really an acronym. And so, and you've developed strategies. So, so real quick, what, what, are, what's the acronym? The acronym, <clears throat> seven strategies for creating authentic community, beginning with diversity. And it has to be because if we're going to respect every human being, every single one of us is different. And that's all that diversity means, human difference. I, identity, that is the purpose and the, the uh, full identity of whatever community that is or your own personal life, identity. G, growth. There has to be growth. We have to be growing encouraged to do this kind of work. We have to grow in our capacity to understand, to have hard conversations and grow in our, in our capacity to understand that there's going to be loss and to nurture. We cannot have these conversations without the infrastructure, the necessary infrastructure, the changes to nurture this new way of being. I, integrity. What are we, are we saying what we, are we doing what we think, what we say we are doing? Are we doing what we say we are doing? Holding ourselves accountable. T, transparency, being able to effectively communicate what our mission is, what our hopes are, our values, and being able to reiterate those so that everyone understands the values and can align with them. And why is yield? We have to base this type of work in data. This is not some highfalutin, let us all come together and kumbaya approach. This is grounded in data. This is grounded in numbers. This is how do we measure this work? How do we measure what we are hoping for? I am a trained sociologist and anthropologist. I have to deal with data. So this is an approach. It's a lens. It's a way of seeing, a way of seeing our work, a way of seeing our communities. And if we implement each part, each of these seven strategies, we'd be surprised how we can maximize the authenticity of our communities and of our institutions, aligning, making sure, closing the gap between what we say and who we say we are and how we are actually living that out. And so you've taken this, you've taken this to, to schools, to congregations, to nonprofits, and how's the work being received? It is tremendous. I am astounded by the receptivity of these strategies, not only in schools where there is more of a clear mission of what you are hoping for and what you're doing and what you're striving for and, um, and a gap between that. And there's so many different uh, there's so many different elements and dimensions in schools. But what I am most, uh, most appreciative of is the different ways that people see how they can implement this lens in their, in their communities. Whatever they may be, they may be very different and they're asking very different questions. 
Some people might think this is more about belonging and um, creating communities where people can really bring their full selves and their genuine selves, which is certainly a part of that. There are some people who are really asking strategic questions about their strategic planning. Where are they going? What would they like to achieve? And they're able to really use this dignity lens in these remarkable ways. I am most um, appreciative and uh, value these wonderful conversations and conversation partners I'm having using implementing the dignity lens. So I love uh, I love the word, obviously, and I love the acronym, and I love the fact that you're trying to figure out how to have these kinds of conversations that acknowledge gaps and that chart courses across these gaps to the benefit of community. But you know, is there a scripture um, or uh, some Bible verse that that really is the rocket fuel for you doing this work? There is. There is indeed. It's James 3.18, and it is the message translation. I'm going to read it for you now. You can develop a healthy and robust community that lives right with God and enjoy its results only if you do the hard work of getting along with each other, treating each other with dignity and honor. There you go. What I love about that verse is that it it taps into every part of the dignity lens. Yeah. You can develop a healthy and robust community. That's your identity. That's your identity that lives right with God. And that's also your um, accountability. And enjoy its results. That's your yield. Only if you do the hard work And that has to do with growth and with nurture of getting along with each other, treating each other. And that's D for diversity with dignity and honor. All of it there and very clearly, transparently so. So there's the T in transparency. It captures every element of the dignity lens. And I just love it as a launching pad for this kind of these kinds of conversations. There's not only this work uh, that excites you, apparently, it is also uh, writing and doing meditations. You were the guest author uh, this month, January, uh, for Forward Day by Day. What was that like? What a tremendous joy and opportunity to share some thoughts and meditations. I loved that opportunity, and I thank Forward Day by Day for the invitation. It was uh, quite a task. And what a pleasure. It was a pleasure to think about all these, to boil down these scriptural scripture, to what an opportunity to boil down the scripture to one sentence, one or two sentences, and to say something meaningful about it. I hope it has been meaningful. I've been hearing such wonderful words and grace, gracious and kind words from people who have been listening. It has been a joy to follow along with the community online as they engage with the words and engage with the text. And now I've been invited to uh, cre- to be a part, to contribute to the an Advent book that Forward Day by Day is going to be publishing for Advent 2024. 
So I look forward to that uh, this this Advent and I, um, and what has also been interesting. As a result of these meditations, one meditation I refer to an older blog that I had written during 2020, during Lent of 2020. And the blog was, I decided I was going to write 40 days, 40 meditations on joy. And a woman from Texas emailed me, contacted me and said, hey, I would love to see that blog. I would love to be able to to engage with that work on joy with her group, a small group of, of, of women at her church, and to study that for Lint. And I thought, well, what an opportunity. I'm going to now publish and release a book on joy, deep joy. This is a different type of joy that we're talking about. This is the joy that is deep and abiding with God. And so deep joy, 40 meditations on a journey to joy by me. So I look forward to releasing that hopefully as soon as possible for Lent, this Lent 2024. Now, for people who uh, want to know more about what you do and what you've written and uh, resources, where can we find you? My website is bethsarahwright.com, B-E-T-H-S-A-R-A-H, right, W-R-I-G-H-T.com. There you can engage with my books. You can buy my books there as well as anywhere you buy books, but there would be great. And also to request my presence if you'd like to have further conversations, to be conversation partners around dignity in your specific space. I would love that. Uh, I also, as one of my books, you know that I wrote for the first time a children's book. And that book is called Meet Babs and Her Beautifully Different Friend, once again, in child-appropriate and developmental ways to talk about respecting the dignity of others. And it's a beautiful relationship that's inspired by my mother, who, who turned 83 years ago. And uh, she remembers fondly this woman who was her aunt, who was developmentally disabled. And they had a profound and long-lasting relationship. And I wanted to talk about that and share that story. But we're just coming up on February 17th is another opportunity to share that story with an incredible, an incredible space called Glenn's Cafe. And Glenn is in an adult, a man with developmental disabilities. And he and his brother own this cafe. And I thought, what a perfect space to talk about dignity, to talk about seeing others and appreciating and valuing and affirming others no matter where where we are and where we find ourselves. So thank you. So uh, for people who are in the Atlanta metropolitan area, we're talking about Glenn's Cafe, uh, which is in Mapleton, Georgia. And uh, it's just a, a great um a great project uh, by a loving family, a husband and a wife, and Glenn, uh, as has been mentioned, who is uh, what we would call developmentally uh, disabled, but just a, just a big picture of love. And he'll greet you right at the front door. And the food is fantastic. So, and you're going to have an event there coming up. Yes. Right? Yes, on February 17th at 11 a.m., a book reading and an opportunity for people to come and share their stories. Stories are the currency for dignity. And and we just, stories are on our lips. So if we can share them, we can strengthen one another. 
Beth, thank you. Thank you for today. And I will see you at home. <laughs> I'll see you at home. I love you. And I love see you, you at home. <laughs>